at us. I see every once in a while y'all glancing at the children. I'm telling you, it does the heart good, amen, to see such young children uh, uh, being able to dance freely or to give themselves freely to the worship of the Lord. <clears throat> powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, you know, while we are moving back into the gospel of Mark, this could just as easily have been a message that would have fallen in on last week when I talked about persevering. Um, I haven't put that message up on the internet yet, but I would encourage you, um, I'll, I'll get it up there this week, and I would encourage you to go, to go hear it if you hadn't heard it. It, uh, it, it was a, a message really, I said last week, it was a message that the Lord gave to me for me as I began to talk with the Lord about some things, but uh, I enjoyed sharing it with you, and I thought it was powerful. Now, this week, uh, it's interesting, too, because this week is kind of, uh, this, this is where I'm working at today, just is, it's, it's, there's no happenstance with the Lord. Like, where we're at today is exactly where God wanted us to be, and uh, you can tell by, like, where we were in Isaiah to where we're picking up in Mark, God has something he's trying to work out or flesh out. Definitely in my heart, uh, uh, hopefully this will speak to you like it spoke to me. Uh, I'm going to begin in something we spoke about on Wednesday. I talked about it then that it was kind of something that God was already doing inside me, but I'm going to start with this scripture because I think it leads in to where we are. And for me, it picks up in Isaiah chapter verse 11. I'm just going to read the first verse because eventually we're going to push on to Mark, uh, I believe chapter 8, and that's where we're going to be. But I'm going to start right here in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 11. Some of you will remember this. Uh, it might be a little bit of verse 12 to end with this. Uh, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. So I've been meditating on this scripture all week. All week. And there's something more found here that calls to my spirit. It's not just a call to think different for the sake of being different. It's really a call back to your original identity. Well, the one, you know, that God created and formed in the womb. The scripture implies that we've started to think kind of in a way that's contrary to our real nature, our spiritual nature, right? Possibly more like the culture, less like the child of God, Right? And it's a strange thing to be a person of faith. It's a strange thing to think we think different because we're a person of faith. We're spiritual. Faith in itself is a kind of a strange thing as well. Through the New Living Translations, which is kind of what I tend to read out of, it, it translates Hebrew 11.1 1 as faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Now... How do you have confidence in something that is yet to happen? How can you have assurance about what you can't see? To accomplish such a thing, uh, uh, is it, it, to have confidence, you know, to have assurance in things, and then, yet, and then you have yet to happen is an exercise in the spiritual gift of faith. It's the only way. It's the only way. This spiritual gift now, it sets us apart from the way everyone else thinks. Faith, faith alone sets us apart. It allows us to live different than everyone else lives. Without the gift of faith, I mean, after all, how can we be saved? 
Without the gift of faith, we could never dream. We could never have a divine vision from God. Faith in God allows us to accomplish the impossible. Why? Because the moment we start to exercise that faith in God, that he can do far more than I've seen, far more than I know, we can actually walk into the impossible relying totally upon his power and none of our own. This is faith. Faith changes us. It also changes others around us. The book of Hebrews records that many people died believing in what God had promised them. It actually reads this. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. It's interesting. How did they see the promise? They didn't receive the promise. Matter of fact, they all died never actually seeing the promise come to pass. Then how did they see it? How could they have welcomed it? Well, they saw it in faith. They saw it in faith. And this allowed them to model a life around the promise of God. And it not only enriched their life, but it also kept hope alive in others. Faith is powerful. It brings life to things. This is crazy. It brings life to things that are invisible. It takes something that you can't see and makes it all of a sudden seen. And is this how your faith works? I mean, I hope so. I hope so. From here now, we'll go back to the study of Mark, okay? We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 because there's no better way to discuss faith or talk about faith than if we focus on Jesus. And this week is especially special as we're going to see that moment where uh, 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 that will basically rock Peter's world and raise this great discussion as to the power of faith. So Mark chapter 8, verses 45 through 56. Say amen if you're there. All right, I'm going to give you a few more minutes. Amen. <laughs> Mark chapter 8. 40, huh? I think it's 45 through 56. All right, so, so is it... Is it 35 then. There we go. Probably a, a typo on my end. I'm sure it is. I write at like 5 in the morning. Bear with me. That's when it, that's when it comes. Mark chapter 8, we're going to talk about the whole passing through the boat. Right after he feeds the 5,000. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda. While he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They had crossed the lake. They landed at Gennesaret. They 
They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. <clears throat> so he we, from the one right before this, Jesus had fed the 5,000 men. That was the last thing we discussed in Mark. Five loaves of bread, a few fish. Listen, they don't, that didn't feed very many, at least not normally. But again, is there anything normal about exercising faith? Faith, looks, uh, faith basically looks, it has this way of looking at a few things and believes that it can do more than what human eyes can muster. By the way, uh, 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 this is the story of us. This is our story. Same story, right? That we may be small or seemingly small as a church, but God is mighty and can do great things with very small things. Amen? Man, it was good. I missed that one. It was good. This scenario isn't any different. Jesus retreats from having fed everyone back to the water. And he lets them enter the boat and they float out a bit while he remains on land to pray. May the Lord teach us to pray. A storm rolls in, which by the way, doesn't it always when Jesus leaves? Seems like every time Jesus is missing, man, there's something bad happening. The wind and waves are starting to capsize the boat. It's a terrifying moment. If you're a fisherman, this is all too well for you. One you actually tried to avoid, but it's too late now. They're in the middle of this lake. They're in the middle of this whole thing, middle of the water. But, ta but to, to, to take a look at this moment with your eyes fixed on it, just in the moment. Don't think about Jesus for a second. The water and wind is so bad that it's looking like it's going to capsize the boat. This is actually a catastrophic event, one that would be unfortunate. If we just are a realist at this moment and we exclude faith from the picture, this is a catastrophic event. One that's highly unfortunate for the disciples, one that could mean their doom. And if so, Jesus and the guys that he spent all his time with now, he's going to have to find some new ones. Because let's be honest, this isn't a normal story. Normally, there wouldn't be anybody walking on the water to go rescue anybody. But for Jesus, he just steps off the shore and onto the waves. Get a picture of that. Jesus steps off the shore and just onto the waves. Put that mental thing in your head because you need one. You need to be able to see or have a vision of this in your mind. You need to see Jesus stepping out there, standing on what is impossible. Because this is a part of knowing and trusting the God who has saved you. You need to see a picture of Jesus like this when you pray to him. That he is a God who can do impossible things. Things that you hold as real or as natural or as laws of nature or any of those things do not stand in the way of to the God who has saved you. The disciples see him, but they're thinking a lot like us. They're terrified. Why? Because in reality, it's impossible to walk on water. So I don't know what that is because that, is not, that cannot happen. That cannot be. It breaks the laws of nature. It breaks the laws of physics. It's impossible. Jesus calms them down by just letting them know, hey, man, it's me. Crazy. By the way, has Jesus ever done that for you? When it's crazy. When the chaos of your life. 
The wind and the waves are pushing you about. It seems as everything is sorrow. Everything is melancholy. And he just steps out upon the water and reminds you who he is. Has he ever done that for you? Has it just, just a little bit of his voice or just his presence just calm you? <laughs> because you know that if Jesus is involved in whatever situations you find yourself in, that anything can happen, even the unimaginable. That's why it's so important that you see Jesus and that you believe Jesus in this moment. That it is him on the water. Because if you see him and the laws of nature bow to him, then you know your circumstances, whatever it may be, can be changed. It is not written. There's nothing written that he can't break. As Mark penned this story secondhand from the teachings of Peter, this story really is more familiar to us through Matthew's gospel. We recognize this situation, and we kind of know what happens next. Even though Mark doesn't pen it, we see that Matthew does. He does it in chapter 14. I'll read it. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. And then Matthew records firsthand as a disciple. Then Peter called to him. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reaches out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Listen, because it's impossible to walk on water, God. It's impossible. Not for Jesus. Not for Jesus. That part we all agree on, right? That seems believable. I can believe that Jesus walked on water. I just can't believe that I can. After all, I mean, he's God in the flesh, not me. And yet here's Peter doing the impossible so long as his eyes are fixed on Jesus and not on the wind and the waves. Maybe the greater observation here, and if you're taking notes, this is a note. It's possible that we experience so few miracles in our life. That, I think, is directly related to the fact that we are rarely focused on Jesus. I think those who have their eyes fixed on the Lord are the ones who see the miracles. You want to walk on water? You got to get off the wind and the waves. Put your eyes on what's right. Put your eyes on the Lord. Fix your eyes on his voice. Fix your eyes on his vision. It stands to reason that the less we focus on Jesus, the less we exercise our faith. See, in Jesus, all things are possible. And when we start to have a vision of Jesus walking on the water, we think, man, and we see Peter walking out to him. And for a second, what do we start to believe? That isn't it possible that I can? If the Lord beckons to come, will he not also make the way for me to come? The less we exercise our faith, the less we see supernatural, miraculous moments. Because miracle moments are birthed in faith. Peter walks on the water because he's focused on Jesus. We know that. We've heard that sermon before. It's possible to define the laws of physics when we're focused on the God of physics. Amen? God creates the laws of nature. God creates physics. Maybe the actual reality is, is that we live in a supernatural world developed by a supernatural God by which we've been created supernaturally for supernatural things. 
That's the truth of the Bible. That's not what you're taught in school, but that's the truth of the Bible. That the impossible becomes possible with God. For those that would call themselves a realist, that's the reality, right? As Peter took his eyes off Jesus and more upon the impossible feat that was taking place, he was reminded of a truth that is rooted in the natural. And this caused him to fall in the water. But even in failure, Jesus was there to pick Peter up and help him into the boat. By the way, if you've ever tried anything and you were worried about failure, this is your moment. All right, this is your moment where you're reminded that Jesus is there with a hand. Come on, I got you. They bo- and, and to me, the neatest part is I, I laughed about this, telling Joy about it. I said, they just like stepped over into the boat. Like, oh, it's like, you never just like stepped over something? I mean, like, you know how you got to lean back? This is stuff we take for granted. They had to lean back, put all their weight on the back leg as they lift the front leg up. They're standing on water. <laughs> Think about it. I don't, I mean, like... And it's apparently strong enough that no matter how they lean their balance, it's not like they're sitting there teeter-totting on the water. It's strong enough to hold them as they pick one leg up and all their weight is balanced on one foot and just step into it like they were stepping over a rock. That's so bizarre to me. And as soon as he steps onto the boat, everything is calm and everyone else is amazed. Sounds just like Jesus. How many of you had a few of those moments in your life, right? Jesus just steps into that boat. Oh, everything's great. Everything's awesome. (laughs) You were screaming your head off before, but now everything's awesome. (laughs) Listen, it's easy to see why Peter's failure in faith would would sink him to the the ocean floor. But let me remind you of this. Peter's also the only one of the disciples to have ever had the opportunity to walk on water. And you know why he got it? Because he asked. By the way, that's one out of twelve. Oh, John, who's loved by Jesus. John's not stepping out of that boat. Matthew, who wrote the whole thing, right, into into the whole Peter moment, right? He didn't step out of that boat. Peter's the only one thinking. By the way, in that moment, he's just fixed on the Lord. He hadn't concentrated yet on the wind and the waves. When that moment happens that the reality part sets in, is when he fails, right? And as long as we're looking at Christ, it's funny how we just walk on impossibility. He's the only one. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. You got to get out of the boat. I know it's wind and waves. I know that gravity says it's going to sink you. I know that water doesn't hold people so that you can stand on it. I know that. Otherwise, we would never be able to baptize people. All right? Would never happen. They'd just be at the top. Like, I mean, it'd be like rock, right? There'd be no way to get them down in there. There'd be no baptism. That's not how water works. But when you're with Jesus and doing things with Jesus, things that would be the normal are not normal. They're not. The interesting thing to me is, is, is for me, is I'd rather walk on water for a few seconds and, and, and feel like I've lived than ever have not. The miraculous may last only for a small moment, but at least we got to experience the moment. It's like, it's like being, uh, being Job and saying, you know, I've heard of you always before, but now my eyes have seen you. It's like Jacob, you know, walking away different. Why? Because I fought with angels. I'm going to tell you right now, man, you walked away hurt, you walked away something, but at least you got to see something nobody else ever did. And you know what? We ain't reading about your story. We're reading about theirs. Why? Because they took out steps of faith. We're reading about Peter. Why? Because he's the one that stepped over the boat. 
You don't see Matthew telling his own story. He never got out of the boat. It's not in John either. He didn't get out of the boat. Sometimes the only way to see the miraculous is to venture into the impossible. And of course, that road has to be traveled with all eyes on Jesus. Listen, impossibility is something we're all going to face all the time, man. You know how many testimonies I've heard where someone's past is so difficult, so bizarrely crazy, and yet they're some of the most responsible people I know? I mean, they have crazy miracles happen to them. One of the guys I met in Serenity Church in Terrell who talks about how he first got saved and the Lord first talked to him, he was selling drugs, selling meth, actually, one of the bigger uh, uh, meth dealers there in Terrell. And he had, a car had broken down, he's walking back, and he thought it, I guess, funny or whatever to say, Lord, you know, if you're real, show me that you're real. He picks up this book that is like a, it's not a Bible, but it's a book all over theology and why God is real and all this other stuff. And it literally has his name on the inside of it. Miracle. I don't know how God does that stuff. You know that book just fell out of somebody's car that had the same name? And that guy's looking for that book. Right? And God knows that this guy's going to walk by with the same name and ask for this. And God's, I mean, God is, a master of time. A master of meeting you right where you're at. Right? Change this guy's life. He's totally been radical. Whole saved out of everything. I mean, just a preacher now. Uh, witnessing people pulling him out of dark places and, and drugs and alcohol and this thing. And he's a street corner type preacher. With their church, they have a small church. It's called Serenity Church. You know where it meets? On the corner outside, they put chairs in a big circle where all the, all the people who were hung over from the night before are still drunk from the night before. At least they can have a chair to sit. And he sits them in a circle outside every morning, whether it's cold or hot, because they have to live outside anyway, most of these guys that he's preaching to. And he sits there and preaches to them right there. They have like a little 10-minute sermonette thing, and then he feeds them and everything. That's his church. That's the one God gave him. God pulled that guy out of what? A miracle. You know, if I ask that guy if he's walked on water, you know what he's going to tell you? I've walked on water. With Jesus, I have. The fact that I'm here, the fact that I still have my wife and kid, the fact that I'm not in jail, those are miracles. Miracles. So many testimonies. Can I tell you what else is impossible? This building, uh, this vision to build a building that will evangelize to the next generation. Can I tell you, every time I talk about it, it seems impossible. Things that I got asked, even from this youth pastor this past week. He sounded like, he sounded like one, uh, uh, some of us that have in here that have asked me these questions. How are we going to pay for it? It's a good question. How are we going to staff it? Because, brother, I'm tired. I know. I know. I, I hear you. I hear you. Where's it going to be? Marble Falls? Well, listen, I have some ideas. And, and to say that I know everything, come on, man, that'd be lie. would be wrong. Because I don't. Can I tell you, though, how, the same faith that Peter used to walk on the water, I choose now to exercise so that I may have confidence and assurance in the things that I've yet to see. I exercise my faith now. The same faith that Peter walked up on that water. The same faith that's in you to see what has not been built. To have assurance and confidence in the God who poured that passion into my heart to see that it is done and to be fixed till it is done. It's not about me. I'm going to build this building so we can be comfortable. I'm going to build this building because if we don't fix tomorrow, tomorrow won't come for some. 
It's not about being self. I need, I need selfless vision in this. I understand like all the difficulties behind it, but this is a faith thing. That's why I said it's, uh, you think God uh, has um, have a sense of irony to have me. This is literally the next passage we were going to talk about no matter what. But this is the point where we get to choose. Do we want to walk on the water or do we stay in the boat? My eyes are going to just fix, my, fix themselves on Jesus right now because I don't have all the answers. He does. I don't know how all the things are going to work out, but he will. Because you know why? He's the king of impossible. I have a vision in my head of Jesus walking on water and him beckoning us out to him. And man, if we don't step out of the boat, we're never going to see the miracle. Well, what about the wind and the waves? Guarantee you they're coming. Guarantee you they're coming. But you know what else I guarantee you? Jesus will be there with his hand going, I got you. Why did you look at the wind and the waves? We got this. Quit looking at the wind and the waves. I'll pick you up and get you up off your knees here on the water here. As you're sinking, I'm going to pick you up here. We're going to walk in that boat together. And you know what you're going to remember in that moment? That you couldn't do it. That you couldn't do it. That you tried and couldn't and you failed. And you know what you're going to remember? How Jesus carried you in that moment. That this whole building thing, this whole vision that we're heading towards, this whole thing that we're going to try to do and we can almost a little seam over our head in the water and the wind and the waves and that whole thing right now. Yeah, Jesus is going to carry us to the finish line for that. You know what's awesome is that he doesn't need us, but he chooses to join us. He chooses to include us. Blows my mind. He chooses to include us. And some are not going to understand all of this. I, I get it. I know that's okay. Can I tell you something? If you look back, the disciples didn't understand how the 5,000 were fed either. They don't understand how that worked. I know what we put in the basket. Did the switch happen somewhere? How did we feed that many? There was just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fishes. Peter is supposed to be a boisterous guy. I can just see Peter going, I ate that much by myself. Like, that's a lot. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, how did we feed that many people? Like, Peter, did you fast? Bro, because that's, I mean, you're a big guy, dude. They don't get it because they see with fleshly eyes and not with spiritual ones. They see with eyes that are stuck on the wind and waves and not eyes that are glaring into the impossible of Jesus' eyes. I read this the other day. This is researching all this. John Bloom, a writer, uh, a Baptist pastor, he wrote this a while back about the eyes. And I'm going to read this to you. He says, back in anatomy class, we learned that because of the shape of the lenses in our eyes, whenever we look at something, the image we see is turned upside down. Before that image hits our retina, uh, it's turned upside down before the image hits our retina. This image is then translated into neural impulses and transmitted along millions of optic uh, nerve fibers to our brains. That means that our brain receives a picture of the world flipped on its head. Being, but being so brilliantly designed, our brains figure out very early and very quickly that upside-down images are not the way things really are. And it learns the ability to interpret them as right-side-up. God created the eye. We all know that. And this opens for us a world of kind of wonder in this. Just keep listening. He says, He could have a myriad of purposes beyond pragmatic ones for designing our lenses to invert the image. He says, I believe one purpose is to humble 
our skeptically proud tendency to assert that seeing is believing. Our discovery of the way the eye works shows that this seemingly common sense assertion is built on a faulty assumptions about this common sensory organ. The truth is our own brains don't actually believe what our eyes are telling it. They didn't believe it. Our eyes are seeing things topsy-turvy from the way they really are. So our brains are forced to draw from other ways to discerning reality and then make the necessary corrections to the images that we see. In other words, there's a sense in which we walk by faith and not by sight. Our brains have learned that reality is actually the flip side of the way they initially see it, so they must trust other sources of revelation to get the true sense of what's real. What we think we see is an inverse or distorted form of the way things actually are. Wisdom is recognizing the truth of this phenomenon, and faith is putting our trust in revelation beyond our perceptions in order to make the necessary adjustments and see things right side up. Faith is a way of seeing accurately. What he's saying there, if I lost you in all that stuff, is simple. Our eyes see everything upside down. Our brain knows that something's not right there. So it, somewhere in there, decides the right way is if I do this. I can't trust everything I see because everything I see is coming in upside down. So I'm going to flip that. And now our brain is going, this is the right way. And that is what's actually happening. Can I tell you, that's what he's saying is like faith. I, what my eyes see is not always the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that when you, don't, uh, uh, when you look at water, you're going to sink if you jump in. You might float for a while. If you can swim, praise God. But you don't walk on it. But if you see with spiritual eyes and you look past the wisdom of this world into Jesus' eyes, Laws of physics and the laws of nature bow to you, child of the king. That's what he's saying. Faith sees that. Faith overrides, actually, flesh. And each of you is the ability to see in faith. Come on, have you ever dreamed over your life? I mean, you ever thought, like, for a second, imagine what your life can be, especially when you're young? How about when you, you ever dreamed over your kids and thought, well, this is what my kids are going to do? This is what, this is what my, <clears throat> I'm going to dream this over my grandkids. I'm going to dream this over my kids. And you have visions and you have uh, uh, divine things that you've thought up in your brain. You've already seen it. That's faith. You're believing in what you have not seen. Why? Because it gives you And when you're around others, you know what that is? It's contagious. It's contagious. When we're around somebody, let's look at ministry and church stuff, right? When we see a man of God who has a vast amount of faith, and we see in a ministry uh, 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 wonderful miracles happening and things like that, those are full places. Why? So they can just be like these other people and get a handout or anything? No. Because people all win is because there's faith breeds hope. And where there's hope, there's happiness and there's joy and there's life. When we walk in faith, we walk in hope. And when we walk in hope, it's contagious. Others see it around us. We believe in the impossible and we encourage others to believe in the impossible. That's the thing. 
Let's bring joy. Our first step in all of this, you know, one of the things when we first started with Mosaic, I've always had one vision. And when people would ask what that is, it was always confusing to them. But it's always been one vision. It's never changed. It's still the same because it's the only, it's the drumbeat of my heart. Some of you know this, some of you might not, but it's a real easy saying. It sounds counterintuitive. Uh, uh, but this is the thing that the Lord planted in me. And it was that if I was going to be about anything, it was going to be about this. And if I'm going to start a church, then we're going to be about this, which is that we will return to the Lord to advance the gospel. That the only way to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out, in, for in, out of this building, out into our community, out into the world, is that first of all, we have to repent and return to the Lord and admit that we've messed it up a little. And then once we walking in repentance and that our heart has returned to the Lord, then we can advance the gospel. Because here's what happens when we repent and we return. All of a sudden we acknowledge all our sins before Lord. It humbles us. It pulls the pride out of us. It draws us in closer with God. Can I tell you that when we go out and we begin to draw closer with God, that's how you advance the gospel? You don't advance the gospel just by telling somebody about Jesus. You advance the gospel by loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how you evangelize the gospel. Because what happens in your life is you'll start to live a life that pursues God with such a passion and such a heart that it becomes contagious because everybody that's around you somehow draws hope from you. And it can't help it. They want to have what you have. We always talk about that, but we, we never define what that is. That's what that is. When you're in right standing with God, when you've returned to God and you're in right standing, you have this connection where you're around him all the time. I promise you, people will want to be near you, not because they want to be really near you. They want to be near the Lord you serve. They want to see what makes you happy. They want to see what makes you whole. They want to see why you keep walking the way. Why do you keep believing the way you do? Can't you see how many times they keep going back to the same stuff, but you don't walk like everybody else does? You walk in faith. And faith says what? That there's a chance. Well, why do we keep helping them? They keep going back into the same old stuff. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ, not in them. Jesus is stronger than their addiction. Jesus is stronger than alcoholism. Jesus is stronger than their circumstances. Don't get so fixed on the winds and waves of people's life. That only happens when we're not looking at Jesus. So, let me, let me tie that in. So we return to the Lord. It's the key. We focus on Jesus. Our faith is found in Jesus. How's this building? I ain't worried about the building. I'm worried about Jesus. I'm worried about my relationship with Jesus, doing what Jesus has asked me to do, being faithful in what he's called us to do. Right? Lord, I'm tired. I'm working all my job and trying to do this too. Just focus on me, son. Wind and waves will abide. Focus on me. Listen, if it gets tough, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be there with a hand. We got this. We got this. Don't worry about some of those things. Worry about the things that are in front of you. Worry about the next step onto the water. Worry about the next step on the water. Don't worry about the boat. We'll get to the boat. Worry about the next step. Focus on me. Get your eyes off the winning ways. Return to me. Come to me. Right? And then what? Advance the gospel. Because at some point, you're going to have to step out again. Oh, we might get to one boat. Make no mistake. We're going to step across the other side of the bow and step back out again. We're going to leap from boat to boat to boat to boat, walking on water, having moments in our life where miracles are going to abound in our life. Why? Because we walk in faith. Right? We have assurance in things we've yet to see. We have confidence in what we've yet to build, what we've yet to even do. I heard a pastor one time say it like this. 
I think this is a great idea. He says, he said, vision is a lot like a sonogram. Vision is allowing you to see what's about to be born. It's already there. But you can't see it. It's just a belly to you. Right? It's a belly to you. you. You don't see the baby inside. You don't see it moving around. But when I throw that sonogram on it, I get to show you something that you can't see. You get to, nowadays, have you seen all the 3D scanner stuff? I can, tell, I can show you what that baby looks like now. I can give you the form of its face. I can show you how its eyes are. We can see it sucking its thumb now. We can see it playing with its toes. We can see all these things now. Can I tell you, that's, a, that's only a small little glimpse of what's about to happen a few months later. That's what faith is. I'm going to give you the side. I'm going to give you confidence and assurance of something you've yet to see. Oh, it's coming. There's a time where it will have itself birthed, and then that'll become a whole nother season. Right now, it's all fun. Right now, we get to talk about what can be. Right now, we can get excited because, man, I'm, God's going to do something. God's going to do anything. It's going to be awesome and great. And then that season's going to change. God's going to do it. And then you know what's going to change in that season? Now it's time to work the field. God's going to give us a field, and then he's going to say, work the field. And the first year is going to be like, yes, how awesome is this? And then second year is going to be like, hey, can you find somebody to get my shift? And then year five and six, when we start to see those teenagers rolling back in, and we see their lives change. Some of you have already seen this. Some of you saw Luis sitting here the other day, and you know where he comes from. You know how we used to, I've been picking that kid up since he was 12, taking him on the bus. Some of you just need to stick around long enough to see the fruit of what you planted. Of what you planted. Because here's what happens too. There's seed that's already been planted that you didn't plant. If you stick around long enough, you're going to get to harvest it because somebody else didn't stick around long enough. And you're going to get to harvest the fruit of somebody else's seed. Awesome. You ever wondered how it grows? 30, 60, 100 fold? And you just planted the one seed? That's because everybody's throwing seed. Everybody is. You just got to be there. And you know, how do you get there? In faith. How are we going to do that? Through keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And all I'm asking anybody is the same thing I do myself. I want you to step out the boat. You can write about it. And you can write about those who stepped out the boat. Or you can get out the boat yourself. Well, what if you sink? Well, we'll sink together. Or Jesus will just pick us right back up. I got a feeling it's going to be the latter. Why? Because I've seen my God. I know my God. And I trust my God. Amen? Let's worship this morning.